Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I get to speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 114. Today we're joined by Sydney-based guitarist and songwriter Mark Tobin. Now Mark these days is playing with bands such as the, the 90s electro-rock pioneers Caligula and his founded projects like The Panic Syndrome, The Finalists and Black Halo. He's a member of the Exploding Boys, you might remember that band from our interview with Steve Kilby back in 2018. And it's a great interview, Mark recounts some really great stories. Um, working with the late Damien Lovelock who sadly passed away about a month ago. Talks about working with him. Uh, Mark tells a story about touring with Radiohead just before things absolutely exploded for them. Um, We discuss balancing ethereal ambience with Rock's directness, which Mark is a real master of in his playing. His love of Les Pauls and the influence of Slash and Ace Freely. Not a bad couple of uh, picks there. And why he's creatively driven to juggle multiple projects. Now, an interesting thing, I got in touch with Mark to have him on the show, and uh, once we joined a few dots, it turns out we went to the same primary school. Mark was a year behind me. I was in the same year as Mark's brother, David, who is also a guitarist. And uh, yeah, he's uh, turns out he doesn't live too far away at all from me. So it's another Western Sydney connection there, which is kind of cool. Hey, a new thing we're starting with today's episode. There is an accompanying Spotify playlist, which will include some of the music that we discuss during the interview. And at the end of the show, Mark gives us a sneak peek of uh, an as-yet-to-be-released track from one of his projects, The Finalists. So hang around for that as well. All right, let's jump straight into our conversation. Mark Tobin, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks for coming in. Now, this is kind of a bit special because usually I'm on the phone or Skype, but it's always nice to be face-to-face. Well, yeah, it worked out we're, we're um, not too far apart geographically, so it's all, yeah, always nice to come and shake your hand, say good day, and yeah, have a cool. chat in person. It's, it's great fun. Although we haven't met in person, we went to the same primary school. Yeah, we just uh, the <laughs> listeners, we're just finding out all this common <laughs> grounds. Bizarre, it's bizarre. But yeah, more and more musos. I'm, I'm meeting a I've got a bit of a Western Sydney background, so that's, that's yeah. Good. Well, the, the the northwest, we've got UMI. I guess it's a mm-hmm. it's um it's a few bands out out from the from the northwest. It's um yeah, seemed seemed like when we were growing up, everyone in our school was playing guitar. Back back, we're yeah, roughly yeah. the same age. Yeah. Um, so it was just a big, big thing out this way. Yeah, melting pot, good stuff. So, well, talking, looking back, when did you start playing then? Um, well, look, I got my first guitar when in, you know, probably about 1980. I was about eight. Okay. Um, but I don't know if I was really playing playing it so much. Of course, I had a few lessons back then. I learned to pick out just a couple of riffs. Like I remember amp music. I learned the song oh, from yeah. amp music. But, oh, that's great. Um, it was it was more a prop, I think, um, the guitar at that time because we used to hold like Kiss concerts out the back, and oh you know, yeah, yeah, we'd all dress up, put makeup on, <laughs> yes, and and mime along to Kiss. So it was good to have a real guitar. But yeah, while that and it was funny because yeah, I was hanging out with my brother on the weekend, and he brought his guitar over, and the guitar strap was this denim strap that belonged to that very first guitar. So I haven't actually. Like that guitar hasn't been around for ages, but it was interesting. I didn't realize that that original strap still existed. Oh, but so, wow. 
But I, I, I picked it up seriously. We, I got my second guitar when I was 15. Uh, I think it was for my 16th birthday, but I got slightly early. So I was 15, and that's when I really started playing guitar and, um, um, you know, didn't, but to, to the detriment of everything else that it seemed at the time. I was just playing all the time. And, and you know, friends at school um, playing, you know, bands, you know, playing together, learning songs and... Yep. Um, it really became a big part of my life from about 15. Okay, cool. And what were you listening to? What were you trying to play? Uh, well, um, uh, The Angels, um, Jimmy Barnes, Johnny Diesel, real Oz Rock sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of Oz Rock. Um, the Angels, were, I really loved them, ACDC. Uh, and then I think... Um, I started getting into U2 and Talking Heads and started to get okay. slightly weirder with my music taste. Yeah, yeah. But still, back then, it was hard to get too weird um, yeah, at that age. So getting into a bit, sort of the older I got and then got into The Cure and The Pixies and all that sort of stuff and started to go down that path. But yeah, a lot of Oz Rock to begin with. Okay, yep, yep. And and um, like American Rock, you'll you remember sort of Bon Jovi... Um, all those kind of bands yeah. were quite big. Guns yeah. and Roses, Guns and Roses especially were huge. Um, so very classic, classic rock, I suppose, was the first genre that I was really into. And yeah. Then, yeah. Then started to move into alternative. Sure. So we're talking sort of like mid eighties and onwards, I guess. Yeah, I think I was like eighty seven when I got my guitar. Okay. Yeah. And um, I was always. And my brother and I and my sister, all big music fans, always mm-hmm. collected records and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, started to play in the yeah the late eighties, and you know had high school bands and you know, garage band jam sessions, all yeah, that sort cool. of stuff. Right through, uh, you know, definitely through. I think it was year not the year nine, ten, year nine holidays into year ten. Then certainly all of year ten, all of year eleven, all of year twelve, and then like constantly since then really. yeah right that's, that's a similar um, uh, trajectory to me I think yeah around that 15, 16 just got the bargain what a time for guitar playing like everything on the radio was just massive very obvious in your face guitar yeah even the, like yeah I guess my big heroes were Ian Moss um, um, The Angels um, Johnny Diesel Steve Ray Vaughan all that sort of yeah, stuff and right. then yeah, and but then yeah, and I, it just turned into yeah, getting into the more alternative stuff, and that, this is before Nirvana. And then I just I think everything changed, like in terms of what people were doing, like after after Nevermind, that was a real big um, sort of a change, changed the way every, everybody played. I think absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so you, you said you were doing garage bands and things. Were you doing when did you start gigging? Uh, I started gigging, so yeah, it was garage bands, no no actual gigs in high school, but there was, um, my first gig was, I was 18, so that was 1991, and it was at the Bull and Bush Hotel, and I started playing <laughs> with, they were, they were from my high school, but they were in my brother's year, um, and that was the, the band, it was called Scarlet Hounds back in those days, mm-hmm. and that was... Um, that turned into sort of my main band through the nineties, Scarlet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, I, I, I joined. They were an existing band. They sort of done recordings, had demos out, and um, had done plenty of gigs. Yep. Uh, and then guitar player left, and yeah, like I, I got to join, and you had to learn their set, and then yeah, so they were busy already. So, we, yeah, it was, I was right into it. Um, 
into gigging straight away when I joined that. So that was 18. Yeah, awesome. I, I, I sort of giggle at the Bull and Bush because that was uh, not that I went, but when I was in primary school, that was the pub up the road. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's an, it's an it's, institute, that place. I know, and it has not changed either. Like, yeah. So when we played there, we, were, we had to play three 45-minute sets. Yeah, okay. So we would play a mixture of originals, um, yeah, and covers, but like real, like pub, because it was real, it was kind of quite, and it's probably, I think maybe it is still a bit of a, like a rough place. Like you'd have to play, like we'd play Born to be Wild and yeah, kind right. of Satisfaction, yeah. all that real obvious yeah. covers sort of stuff, real fun to play too. Yeah, and sure. That just, everyone loved it and it was good, good fun, but yeah, certainly, um, Different from, like, we also then started playing, moving into the city and playing in, in venues like the Anandar Hotel and the Hopeton yep. and the Lansdowne and all that sort of stuff. A very different sort of crown, a very different atmosphere. And sure. we, we we moved away from playing covers and and um, and in, into, you know, doing originals and sort of moving into a, more of an inner city scene, if you like. Okay. And, um, yeah, and stopped playing covers altogether. And, yeah, so instead of doing the three 45-minute sets, you go into and do a half-hour set or a 45-minute set of originals in, yeah. in you know, one of the city pubs. Now, you guys got signed by EMI, who at the time were one of the big, like, six major labels in the world. Tell, yeah. tell me how that came about. Well, I was pretty lucky. I think we, like a lot of bands, you know, all had friends who did that audio engineering course at um, Sound Engineering School, and they always go, oh, I've got a got my final assignment can you know, we need, need someone yes. someone needs a band you go oh well you know it's mark's um friend's got a band so like we went in and did the recording so we had i don't think it was our first it was i think that was my one of my first recordings um and i think that just got heard by someone it was someone at emi sort of yeah we sent it in and then someone said oh hang on that that's um so-and-so's friend. So it was one of those simple recordings, I think, that just got, it was just lucky. Someone wow. saw it on the desk of the AMI and said, oh, hang on, that's, I've heard of that band. They listened to it and they uh, rang us up and signed us. So it was just very lucky. That's amazing. So being on a label, especially like a major label in the 90s, that means something very different to what it might mean today to be signed or, or yeah to be well i think work. back in the 90s like there was a lot of money to be made from cd sales so there was uh, an investment in um in bands that um yeah i, I guess there's a reluctance now be, to invest money because even if you have a hit record it's not going to be you know you're not going to make money back from record sales because th- there's barely any record sales but yeah i think you yeah, know there was a lot more bands being signed back in those days than there are now. So uh, I think it was, st- it was still, uh, you know, a very lucky opportunity. But, yeah, it was something that was not unheard of back in those days just because it was, uh, it was a, a more of an industry. Sure. And you, you guys found yourself supporting bands like Radiohead and... Um, uh, Diesel, Boomcrash Opera. Like, tell me about that experience. Well, we... I guess yeah, that is one of the advantages of having like proper management yeah. and um, like label support because yeah, that was on the Pablo Honey tour. That one, that's I mean, that happened back in '93, so many wow. years ago. But yeah, still a career highlight, obviously, yeah. because when Radiohead came out on that Pablo Honey tour, it was about a year after the Creeps sort of single happened. So everyone okay. was like, "Oh, Radiohead are coming! Oh, there's those there's those guys who had that that, that heavy one, that grunge one, band." Yeah, and there was only one yeah. song, and yeah, um, I, I did have that album because I was a big fan. Like, 
a fan of it. So we, I just remember walking into their sound check. It was it. We played with them in Melbourne at the Palace and in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And just their soundtrack, we were like, whoa. <laughs> and it was pretty obvious, like, instantly that they, they were more than just, like, the, it was, like, unbelievable. Still one of the greatest, like, gigs I've ever seen. Yeah, and then we were bringing wow. all our friends up in Sydney going, you've got to come to um, see Radiohead tomorrow. And everyone's like, oh, Radiohead? Yeah, right. And there was only about 150 people or something <sighs> like there. It was at yeah. Salinas in Sydney. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, that was... They just blew everyone away. So it was us, and there was another band on the bill called Juice, and yeah. and Radiohead. So it was pretty. It was that was pretty cool. Um, wow. Um, but yeah, playing. We we did a, lo- a whole lot of gigs, and um, yeah, we were really busy. I think it was a good time for Australian music back then, and um, yeah, mainly Sydney. But we also went to Brisbane and Melbourne, um, p- played gigs. Yeah, so it was also good being, you know, nineteen twenty, a little bit of a chance to travel around with your with yeah, your friends and, and play play shows was it was fantastic. It was the most fun you could have. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine Radiohead were flying. We were you driving up and down the coast. Well, yeah. We were driving. Um we were driving so I think there was a night off in between, but we couldn't logistically do the Brisbane show. Like looking back now, of course we'd you'd go, Oh, we'll do anything to do that. We'll you know, yeah, but yeah. It was logistically impossible for us to do that drive because, I don't know, I think air travel is a lot cheaper these days. Um, and certainly when we play now, it's all... I, I haven't driven to an interstate gig in uh, actually about five years. But, yeah, but, but sure. yeah, it's not something that I would really entertain the idea of. Yeah, now, yeah, but yeah. I think it's... Yeah, back then, that was the only... It was very rare for... A, for bands to fly, I think mm-hmm. unless you you know you had hit records, which which we never did, even though you know certainly had a lot of support, but yeah, never got that chance to sort of fly around. So a lot of driving. Sure. So through EMI um, as well, you moved on to uh, to work with Margot Smith, who was uh, a Steve Kilby um, produced artist originally. Mm. Well, I think yeah, I, I, yeah, and that was it. So Scarlet sort of, we played around for, for a while and then um, I got the opportunity in the late 90s to play yeah, with Margot Smith. So The Church, uh, I think my favourite Australian band now. So I'm a big fan of you know, you know, the, those twin guitars, the way they work together. Yeah, yeah. And Steve Kilby is a fantastic songwriter. And yeah, there was a, a singer that he produced called Margot Smith uh, who was also on EMI at the same time mm-hmm. as us. Um, she had two albums that they were produced by Steve Kilby, so they're kind of like little, almost church offshoot projects, if you yeah, like. And right. Peter Coppers, who was was the guitar player on some of the albums, and then when he went back to join the church, I, I got asked to join as Margot's guitar player, and she's well, she's sadly she died a few years ago. But she was just had this amazing voice. Uh, mm. Her songs were so haunting. So for me to be able to play with her for about three, two or three years, I think it was, and um, yeah, play, was just that was a real um, highlight as well. So what was your rig like for those gigs? That's um, quite atmospheric kind of stuff. Do you remember? Um, what you were I do. Yeah. Well, I I I had a Les Paul, um, which I I, I got. Yeah, in the early '90s, which was my main guitar, mm-hmm. but for and and my amp was a, a Music Man um, amplifier, so looked a bit like a Fender Twin almost. But, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I st- st- they're still my main guitar and still amp. Okay, same amp. Cool. But for the Margot Smith stuff, I was using um, uh, 
an Ibanez, I, can't, I think it's an Ibanez UE440. It's an Ibanez multi-effects unit. And again, oh, yeah, I yeah. stole that idea. That's what the church okay. is using. If you, if you plug one of them in yeah. and you plug your guitar and you sort of get that sort of you know, church sound from the first couple of albums. Yeah. So, yeah, I was using that and it was, um, yeah, getting this really churchy sound. So you've got to, like, because now my, on my pedal board today, I've got like an Ibanez analog delay pedal, one of those old ones, mm-hmm. but in, in built in that sort of multi-effects unit, it was this beautiful delay, beautiful compressor, um, a, a nice Ibanez chorus, all analog. Yeah. And you had, um, what else was there? There's a... An EQ, which I used as a boost. Okay. There's one more. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, but I've still got it. But yeah, I just I got yeah, sick wow. of carrying carrying a pedal board because you need a pedal board with your tuner and your overdrive yeah, and all yeah. that sort of stuff, and then having to carry that as well. So I'd, I put all the effects on on the board these sure. days. But yeah, back yeah. in those days, it was that Ibanez multi effects unit, which I still got at home. Yeah, very and, cool. And yeah. I'd love to drag it out again sometime. Yeah. Was that the rack mount one? Or yeah, the, the rack mount one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so and it's like... got the plug-in, you plug in the, the pedal board as well. So yeah. it's got the five pedals on there. Man, that was the thing. That was like one of the first multi-effects yeah. ever, I think. Because, um, yeah, I mean, people, yeah, like no one really likes the Boss multi-effects so much, but the Ibanez multi-effects had a, a good reputation. Yeah, those as do the Ibanez pedals, obviously, the Tube Screamer and... Sure. Yeah, yep. my favourite one, which is actually my brother's, is that purple Ibanez analog delay. So they're yep. that they're the main pedals that I've had, um, and a boss, and, and now I've got a boss chorus as well, boss C to one of the ones. Mm-hmm. It's actually again, that's actually my brother's one. Yeah. But we've had them since the eighties, so they're the the sort of the Ridgy Dig originals, Ridgy wow. Dig um, ones, and they they sound they just sound so good yeah like i've got now i've got all sort of like i've got you know boutique compressor and overdrives and all that but i've i've just kept those two yep. they're the main ones i've kept on the board back from the ones that i've had like since the 90s they're the, the two survivors if you like yeah cool i see you playing yeah les paul's a lot these days is that yeah is that always carried through um yeah so my th- the, the first good guitar i had so i had an acoustic when i was 15 then i got a squire which I was stupidly sold and then sort of upgraded. And then um, we, I, I went to the, there were some auctions, you know, where the Bunnings is in North Parramatta on the corner yeah, there, James yeah. Rose Drive. And, yep. um, what is it? Windsor Road. Windsor Road, yeah. So there used to be this, just old warehouses and they used to have auctions in there and you could go oh, in okay. and buy, um, I could buy anything, rolls of carpet or whatever. But then some of the, you know, item lot, Number forty-eight would be an Ibanez analog delay, or lot forty-nine would be, you know, Boss Overdrive pedal. So you could go in there and get these bargains. So yeah, that's where we got the cheap pedals from back oh, in the eighties. Okay. But my brother got this Les Paul, and it was like a, it was like I think it's like a nineteen eighty-eight Les Paul, and we got it in like nineteen eighty-nine, and it was like seven hundred bucks. We were like, this is so weird. And this is before the Chinese replicas, so it's, mm-hmm. it's a real. Les Paul. So that was that was my first good guitar that I started using. And then when we started playing in Scarlet, like he'd go, you can't always have my guitar. So then I got my own Les Paul, <laughs> yeah. which is a 1973 wow. Les Paul. So I got wow. that in the 90s. So that's now well, that's now 46 years on. It's uh-huh. so I, I I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, even more so, I had it set up like I mean it was always set up well, but I had this I had a like a proper luthier look at it and set up properly and it just stays in tune and plays so well now better than it ever has and that I had that was done about four years ago and I've sort of had it regularly serviced mm-hmm. and um you know the intonation done and 
it's uh, it's transformed the guitar, which was always good. Now it's like it's just a dream guitar to play. So yeah, that's my main guitar at the moment. Okay. Uh, but I also play um, a lot of twelve strings. So I use a Dan Electro twelve string, just okay. one of those sort of eight hundred dollar ones. Yeah, yeah. And that, I love that. It sounds so nice. Um, and I've also played my other main guitar, if you like. I guess is just a, an acoustic twelve string attack of mine. I've just got various other guitars that I use for various other things, but sure. yeah, they're they're my if I, yeah, they're my three main ones. Yeah, okay, very cool. That Les Paul the seventy three is it stock? Have you changed out pickups uh, or anything? I, I haven't, but I don't know. I don't think, like, as I said to the guy who fixed it up, I go, oh look, you know, what are they? And he goes, oh, they're not original pots, so they've been changed. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the bridge pickup seems really like high outputs much okay. like, like sort of more heavy than other less poor so yeah I don't think they're stock Gibson pickups but I haven't changed sure. I haven't changed them since I got it uh, and that's what I was saying to him like, oh put, why don't you put good um, tone pots and volume pots in the guitar and the guy who fixed up this guy called Alan Rigg in Glebe he's like why would you change it you, you've just told me you love the sound of it so yeah, we've yeah. just left that as it is and yeah it's it's all I don't think the electronics, they're definitely not stock, but yeah, they, they sound pretty good. Yeah. And I tend to do a lot of volume knob swells and stuff like that. So I like this one sort of, the volume knobs are sort of quite responsive because, you know, yeah. some volume knobs you get and you have to, yeah, they're either almost, it's almost like an on-off switch. These yeah, ones sort yeah, of roll yeah. off nice, nicely as well. That's, nice. what, that's one thing I really like about that guitar. Yeah, cool. Lots of control. Nice. Oh, if it's not broke, <laughs> yeah, it's, hang on to those pots. It's so good and it looks so good as well. One thing I have done and I'm toying with the idea of doing is the, actually the very first thing I did when I got it was I took the scratch plate off because I wanted to be like Peter Green and I wanted to be like oh, yeah. Slash. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've just noticed... I've just noticed a lot of people with sunburst less pores, they have the scratch plate back on it. I'm like, should I? I just don't know. I'm, just, I'm toying with the idea of putting that scratch plate back on it. Okay, yeah. Um, that's the only change I've made. That's just just because Slash doesn't have a scratch plate. That's yeah, why I yeah. took it off. And, <laughs> that's and, cool. And Peter Green. It's funny um, talking about the scratch plate when, when you're talking about playing Kiss in the backyard because we used to do that too. Everyone did, yeah. Um, I always loved Aces, Les yeah. Pauls. And he always, I think he had the scratch plate. On. I seem I to remember the on. plate. Yeah, he's got the scratch plate on, I think, on the Les Paul. I always thought it was so cool how it had the plate, but it had a little metal um, yeah, yeah. arm where it's... Yeah, yeah, held where up the plate. <laughs> did, did you impersonate Ace? I was always Ace in our yeah, family. My brother was Gene yeah, and yeah. my sister was Peter Cruz. <laughs> That's great. No one wanted to be Paul Stanley. Interesting. Yeah, oh, well. yeah I always loved Ace. I always thought he was the... I don't know. I well, he's still the solo as well. Like, talk to, and I loved his solo records. Talk to me. Yeah, and yeah, all that sort yeah. Of stuff as well. Yeah, New York. Yeah, um, New York Groove. New, back in the New York Groove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And he's still playing. Yeah. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. So the LPs have continued <laughs> for you. That's very cool. Um, now you're you you've kept playing the whole way way through. Um, you mentioned a story, and it's, I guess it's salient um, about working with Damien Lovelock, who really sadly passed away well, about yeah, actually, I think a month ago, I guess. Yeah, the last time we um, made contact, well, yeah, we, we were um, talking about some of the things that we did. Yeah, and yeah, so like I only played with him once, but um, yeah, it was weird because you're always like, oh, I'd love to play with him one day again. And yeah. then sadly, we heard that news, and obviously, he's the singer from the Celebrate Rifles, yeah, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were doing a tribute to the church actually, and he's a big church fan. So we were 
just I guess um, it was the the Margot Smith band. We yeah. were, we also had a band called Flavor, so we were sort of co-opted to be his backing band for this okay. tribute to the church, and it was at the Annandale Hotel. And um, yeah, he was a big fan, and um, uh, yeah, I think we played about six or seven songs with him. Can't mm-hmm. remember which ones now, but um, would have been all the I think it was all the hits because he was closing the show, and. Um, yeah, like that's my my September 11 story because I remember that was September 11, 2001. We were rehearsing down at Zen Studios in um, uh, St. Peter's there and, yeah, just remember coming out after rehearsal and hearing that on on, on the radio and thinking, oh, wow. So then it's, it's kind of was always stuck in my head and then a couple of days later we had the show and it was amazing and then I'm like, oh, I'd love to work with Damien Lovelock again. And sadly, yeah, never got the chance. Sure. Yeah, such an iconic figure. Um um, my my gateway uh, uh, feels a bit backwards, but was knowing him as a football commentator. Exactly, yeah. And then, oh, hang on, he's the guy from that band. Yeah. Such an amazing uh, character. Yeah, and he had a few um, good solo. Uh, uh, there was one song, I'm on the blue phone at the Green Iguana Cafe. There was that, that, there was that Green Iguana Cafe in Newtown. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. his song was I'm on the blue phone at the Green Iguana Cafe. <laughs> it was just, I always loved that title. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, now, one of the bands you supported in in Scarlet was um, Caligula, which yes. then is a really interesting connection for a lot of the stuff yes. um, you're doing at the moment. So I guess the, a, a central figure in some of your projects, I should mention, um, you've got about four or five or six projects running at once. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very busy, but yeah. But which is awesome. So Ash, Ash uh, Rothschild from Caligula, um, seems to be a bit of a common figure in some of them. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. And I, when you say um, I've played constantly, there was a there was a time where I sort of sort of dropped off, and it was always Ash who never did stop playing. He was always okay. sort of dragging me back. So I've got yeah, him yeah. to thank for it. And he's um, yeah, like you say, I've got a few fair few things going on. I think it's good working with him. He's got an, probably one of the only people I know that's got sort of a similar level of enthusiasm for music and it's just never yep. lost that vibe so how really, did you guys meet oh well through through playing with caligula actually um so yeah we, and i think we just hit it off mm-hmm. um in 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 those gigs and then yeah, yeah like was, we were flatmates for a while just really good friends and um yeah we played so yeah so we supported caligula. you know i was obviously a big fan as as were a lot of people they were they were very popular um oh definitely back in the day yeah. um and such a great band I, I loved playing with them and i loved seeing them all the time and then when caligula broke up then ash and i started playing in bands together mm-hmm. and then um that's continued on we've got a band called panic syndrome yeah. it's been together for yeah, a couple of years now and then caligula got back together and um, yeah, I was really honoured and lucky to, to to join that band. Not only not only because like I'm a big fan, but because that, like when we reformed, they were like really amazingly good shows. We were um, the tour was supporting Pop Bullet itself from the UK, yeah. so they were just packed out. So it was I was awesome to be part of that tour. It was awesome to be playing with that band whose songs I love, yeah. and just awesome to be playing with those guys because they're um, it's a really fun band to be in so we've now done three tours uh since the band reformed once with pop Weed itself we played also with the mavises yeah um, cool. the Auss- great aussie bands yep. and then um we just finished well was it we played brisbane sorry we played melbourne and sydney uh, just a couple of weeks ago with def rhyme that other yeah, um, great, great 90s band yeah um 
gee, they sound as I, I'd forgotten how many Def Rhyme songs that I I knew. They they were another band that sort of were quite big on Triple J back in the nineties and. Yeah, I, th- I thought when I went in there, I thought, oh, yeah, I know one Def Rhyme song. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew about six or seven of them. They were amazing. <laughs> That's cool. So I got to see them two nights in a row. So, yeah, playing with Caligula's been a blast and there's more there's more to come. But, uh, yeah, and one of the – you mentioned there's a few projects. One of the projects that we're working on at the moment uh, with Jamie Fonte, who's the, the keyboard player from Caligula and, and Ash and – and yeah, they've been they've been working on a side project together called Black Halo for I th- it must be a year or more now. And um, there's some shows coming up in November, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. So I'm I've been brought on to play guitar. So uh-huh. that's taking a lot of my time now. Yeah, um, uh, playing with those guys. But um, yeah, we're just going to go out as a like a three piece. So it's going to be you know keyboards and, and drum machines and vocals and, and three-part harmonies out the front. So yeah, that's nice. quite good. Very cool. And, um, yeah, talking about gear, given this is the guitar podcast. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's a bit of a change for me because I'm using the Helix, the Line 6 Helix, okay. for the first time. I've had it for about a year and it's pretty, like, it's pretty daunting for me because I've, you know, I've always had pedals and, um, and amps and I love pedals and amps, but... Um, like this is a pretty electro project, so you kind of want to just, you know, be sort of like, you know, you know, you don't want the sort of the fuss and the bother of an amp sometimes sure. if you're just all rehearsing in a small room similar to this size. Yeah, yeah. You're not dragging amps in there, so I'm using those amp simulators. The other benefit is it saves on um, having to hire an amplifier in other states, so it makes it, a, a, you know, playing interstate shows out a little bit more viable if you're not yeah, doing the empire. Sure. And I'm yeah quite happy with the sounds it's a lot of feeling about i have to say but mm-hmm. um it's yielding some results i was just before i came down here this afternoon i was just um testing out i've got some um um custom irs from this company own hammer i just downloaded oh, okay. some of them yeah yeah. Just, yeah you can i just bought this bundle and so i'm just trying out all these different speaker boxes now but yeah i'm not sure if you've used helix as much or not not much I've done. Yeah, not I haven't dived down the rabbit hole yet. All the gigs I'm playing are still, you can still like your amp and turn it up a little, so. Oh, lucky. I'll stick with that. <laughs> but I love it. I love it that you're doing that. That sounds perfect for, yeah, for this project. Um, for this project, I think it's going to work really well. And, and, you know, we're doing a lot of the, well, it sounds like, you know, they're rehearsals, but we're in a studio. It's not like a traditional rehearsal where you're all in there um, with you know, loud drums and bass. Yeah, yeah. And, and so... It's, it almost feels like pre-production rather than a okay. rehearsal because yep. we're in a studio, and I think that's where Helix is. It you know if you if you want it there as a a mimic for a live amp, it's not really going to work. But if you're sort of listening to it in a studio setting, mm-hmm. it actually sort of it's uh, yeah I'm actually uh, enjoying the results. Although I've still got there's a lot of tweaking to go sure, and sure. you're making sure the levels are right between because you've got a different patch for each song. It's going to make sure all the levels are all balanced yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So. It is a bit time-consuming, but yeah, that's uh, that's something I'm looking for. And the other change where where we've got in ears again, so we're just trying to learn how to use in ears. So we've yep. just the last um, yeah, a couple of months we've been I've been you know getting into the Helix and sort of working out these in ears. So it's just a bit of yeah, that's a bit time-consuming as sure, well. Sure, sure. I guess the fun is that anything you tweak with your Helix now if you're running ears at home yeah um, that's that's what you're dealing with live that's kind of yeah that's cool 
Yeah, it is. There's so many options, though. <laughs> um, but I went to this... Um, I hate to name drop, I need... But um, I went to... Uh, Ash, like, he's he's like, like you, he's a music teacher, and he, ran, he runs... Um, uh, music classes at, at Big Music in Crow's Nest. Oh, great. Yeah, and, I know that um, place. That's amazing. It is really, like, yeah, I, I, I sort of drop in there a lot for rehearsals and stuff. And it's just yeah. you see kids there yeah. learning um, music and they're all, look, it's sort of like quite an inspiring place to go. Um, I, I, I wish something like that existed when I was a kid. Um, but he, as part of that, he, they, he held a master class with Dave Leslie from the yeah. um, uh, Baby Animals. So I... Um, uh, yeah, I tagged along there just so yeah, I could come awesome. and listen. And he was running the Axe 8 effects. Oh, okay. so, so he's sort of gone down. He had a little amp on stage for monitoring, but the sounds are all coming from from there. And one thing he said that really stuck in my head was like, he goes, it, it doesn't really matter what equipment I use. It always still sounds like me. Yep, and I guess yep. that's the goal. If you're sort of thinking, oh, I need uh, a Klon Senator and I need, or, you know, I need an Ibanez analog delay to get my sound, then you... That's not that's not how it should be. It should you should really I should be able to go and grab one of the guitars that you've got out there, mm-hmm. plug it in there, and if if I had to, that should you know it should be enough. Sure. And we've all seen that Satriani clip where he <laughs> plays surfing on the alien on a uh, you know on the squire, on the I squire think. or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that, and it and, sounds um, like Joe and it sounds Satriani. So that yeah, that kind of stuck in my head that if I, I shouldn't be too tight into what equipment I'm using. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've it was while I was quite resistant to the helix, I've just in my mind trying to say it's not the gear that matters if you if i get a sound in there that's workable yeah it should all come from 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 playing and i guess that's the goal but yeah then the other part of my brain goes there's nothing like standing in front of like a you know loud amp or better still two amps in stereo and and playing that like that's an amazing feeling as well so it's trying to work out how to get the best of both worlds is, sure. is where I'm at at the moment. Sure. I love it that you've been playing for a long time and you're still <laughs> finding new stuff to do and your approaches. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I guess, uh, yeah, that's the whole, yeah, it does, it has changed guitar a bit. I, I, you know, there's where, where, I guess living in a exciting time in that, um, when we were learning, there was no internet or anything mm. like that. So you kind of were, your choice, what you learnt was dictated by, you know, who your guitar teacher was or yeah, you know, who sure. your friends were and all yep. that sort of stuff. But now there's so much information out there that you can you can go down those those yeah. rabbit holes and all that sort of stuff if, if you, if, you know, you so desire. And, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, you mentioned panic syndrome. Um, yeah. I'm loving that stuff. That's... Oh, I guess. Oh, thanks for listening. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So that's, um, I guess, it's an originals band with, with, with Ash, and, yeah. and you've been involved in that from, from day dot. Ah, uh, yeah, but yeah, day dot. Yeah. So we we've, um, yeah, I, I, like I'd, I'd sort of stopped playing for a bit, and obviously playing a lot at home, and uh, yeah, Ash rang me and said, oh, yeah, I want to start, um, start a new band. Do you want to join? And yeah, like I, I didn't hesitate because I was I I really missed playing, mm-hmm. and so yeah we've we we we've done one album we've just got two new singles out and they're all on Spotify, uh, but we've done it uh, like again we've been very lucky getting all these gigs we we played with this um uh, sort of UK goth band called The Mission and mm-hmm. you know for us we were sort of slightly gothic music I guess The Mission you know quite a, a you know big band for us so getting yeah. to do their tour played with another. 
band called The Chameleons. And we've got some shows coming up with Big Country, the Scottish band. Yeah, so man. any guitar lovers, you know, would, would know yeah. just how significant Big Country were Fantastic. in the in the 80s. And um, so we've got some shows coming up in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Newcastle and Brisbane mm-hmm. um, at the end of September and the start of October with Big Country. And yeah, we played with them when they were out here about Oh, two years ago now and they're they're sensational and the drummer from Big Country used to be in the cult and so he played oh, on okay. some of those early cult albums oh, wow. so I mean go, go for the guitars but if you're a drummer I, I, I can't remember his name but if you google Big Country drummer if you're mm-hmm. a drummer he's he's like world class wow that's that's awesome that's awesome and um I guess they're still pulling those those iconic Big yeah. Country guitar sounds they, they are so, did you did you um uh, Find out any uh, intel? No, not really. They, he did, because they're, they're famous for some pedal. I can't remember what it was. Okay. My bandmate from the Exploding Boss, Paul McDonald, will kill me because they're his favourite band. I can't remember what the pedal was <laughs> called. But he had a different pedal when I was there. He had some multi-effects unit, but he still had that sound. Yeah. But um, sadly, Stuart Adam, Adamson, who was the singer, died. So the band at the moment, they've got a new singer who is really good and all the all the sort of big country diehard fans have embraced and they yeah. really like him and the other guitar player is bruce watson's son so oh, it's like a, they're okay. quite a let's say this bruce watson and and uh his son playing all those great big country riffs oh, wow. and it's so it's a they're just and they're really fun band to watch and, and again there's one of those bands i didn't realize how many of their songs i knew because mm-hmm. they had like you know you know, heaps of top ten hits in the UK, and a lot of those songs drifted over here. Obviously, a lot of people only know the song in a big country, but there's so yeah. much more there to to explore. And they're out here; they're playing this album called The Crossing. So I've just been really like getting into that album mm-hmm. just as, as I can prepare for this show because I get to see them five nights in a row. That's so, so good. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Nice. It's interesting. All these, um, a lot of these bands you you're working with, and. Um, some of the sounds I'm hearing from your bands have a very English or UK kind of yeah. sensibility. Is that is that a fair comment? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. I guess well, yeah, we probably yeah. I, I love the Cure. I love the Smiths. I love mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. The yeah. Church, which is I guess sort of Englishy sounding, if you like, sort of that chiming sure. sort of guitars. But yep. yeah, I love Sonic Youth and all the American stuff as well. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, there is a lot of sort of delaying chorus which I guess pushes you into that English territory the um the panic syndrome track um killing me with everything that's your most yes. recent single man the textures on that <laughs> crazy good what's yeah what's happening there can you explain um, your approach uh well it's not just me we've got a, um a, another guitarist Eli um a Jacobson and um yeah obviously um um there's a full band there. Um, so I'm playing that main 12th string riff. Okay. And okay, I've got yep. um, uh, an acoustic underneath it. So I'm playing acoustic yep. 12 string and um, electric 12 string. And then there's obviously there's a bit of six string as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I think that's the trick, the 12 string. Yeah, okay. 12 string is um, a lot of Panic Syndrome stuff has um, 12 string guitar on it. Right. Gotcha. Cool. So yeah, a bit of a, a church. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Influence. church. Yeah, I would say Panic Syndrome, if I was to describe it, I'd say it's like a cross between The Cure and The Cult because it's kind of okay. like The Cure, but it's a bit more rocky, I guess. Yeah, there's a there's a dark it's very, underside yeah. as well, yeah, I which think I was digging. Yeah, I guess we've sort of always been on the sort of the sort of the goth side of things when we're players, always a bit of 
sort of the a darker mm-hmm. sides, but that's what we all like. And yeah, cool. Which is funny because none of us are. <laughs> <laughs> We're all pretty like love and laugh and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Like yeah, all those. Um, yeah, it's very dark music, but. Yeah, we're we're pretty upbeat. If you, yeah, if you know yeah. What I mean. yeah. I think it's a lot of fun in just giving yourself to the intensity of yeah. some some of that music. That's great. That's very cool. Now we've we've mentioned um, Steve Kilby a couple of times. He was on this on this podcast. I don't know about a year ago, leading up to the REM show uh-huh. with the Exploding Boys. And that's the first time I'd heard of the Exploding I, Boys. Did, did he mention us or not? He mentioned the Exploding Boys being pretty fantastic. Yeah, oh, did he? Yeah, I'm going to go back and listen to that. Um, <laughs> who are the Exploding Boys? And then you know, drawing the dots as I got to know yeah. you. It's like you're one of the exploding boys. Yeah. Can you um, so that talk is, me through that? Yeah, that is a project. Um, so I, I guess uh, I, I was asked to join that band by my friend Paul McDonald, who is um, he, who's a great guitarist, and I've known him since I was a teenager as well. Oh, okay. Just he was in Scarlet briefly as well. Oh, really? Um, wow. So I've known him since yeah, since I was nineteen, I think. And um, he played in a band called Glide. Yeah, I remember those who, guys. Yeah, they were pretty pretty big back in the day had yeah. some great songs i was a really big fan of glide uh and then he got to join them i'm like oh that's so cool paul and then um that i think they did some of their best work when paul was in the band and then um yes uh, sadly um the the singer william arthur uh, died and that was 20 years ago actually because i saw some tributes to him on facebook oh, wow. and he, i think he was one of sydney's best songwriters those songs are, are really good and back in 2014 paul um, put together a tribute for William Arthur, who was the singer, and um, uh, you kindly asked me to come and help out with some of the guitars, and you know, I had to play some of William's guitar parts, which are really complex but really beautiful, mm-hmm. really beautiful songs to learn, songs I always loved, but you know, never, never learned, and then to finally learn them was a, was a great experience. So Steve Kilby was one of the people who um, was was a big uh, fan of Glide, so. That's how I first met him, and we oh, did that. Okay. We did some sh- some Glide tribute shows in Sydney and Melbourne. So yep. got to travel with him to Melbourne, and then yeah. So Paul and I started uh, we were uh, dealing with him on that level, and then we okay. we did a Smiths tribute, and we expanded the Exploding yep. Boys, and we got um, Robbie Warren, who's from Died Pretty, oh, in on bass, yep. and um, uh, yeah, various other members have have come on board now, and yeah, we're, we've worked with Steve Kilby a number of times. We did a Cure um, tribute with the Exploding Boys mm-hmm. and Steve Kilby. We did that in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and also uh, yeah, the REM tribute, which is was the one he was talking about. And they were amazing shows. We played um, we played the Palais Theatre in uh-huh. Melbourne and the State Theatre in Sydney and the Tivoli in Brisbane. So just like. Yeah, you know, could scarcely believe we're playing these amazing yeah, venues so with um, these amazing singers. Um, so yeah, that was that was great fun. So that's I guess that's the thing with the Exploding Boys. We're playing covers and doing tributes. So yeah, <laughs> it's a sad reality. We get like a lot of people, a lot more people come to see those shows than your originals. Like you know, our originals going no complaints sure. there, but yeah. The Exploding Boys, you were starting to pull these really big crowds all yeah. of a sudden. It's, um, That's great, man. That's uh, great. There's more, more coming up on that as well. So yeah. we've got, we're doing one show next year with um, this band called The Smides, who are a Smiths tribute band. Okay. So we're doing we're opening up, we're doing a set of Cure songs. Yeah. And then they're going to play... Um, the Smiths and that's it. Yeah, that's so that's next year in February at the Factory Theatre. So that'll be fun. Then we'll 
you have some more Exploding Boys stuff as well. But they're, they're, that's an amazing band to play with, all, all top quality musicians in that band. Yeah, I think what I loved about it was that it, yeah, it's like an, an Australian supergroup of <laughs> kind of of alt indie musicians, non-famous alt indie musicians. Yeah, yeah. but well, well Robbie, Robbie Robbie Warren from Die Pretty is pretty famous. Uh, uh, yeah, I think they're, they're one of my favorite bands. So yeah, he's famous. Paul from Glide. Um, we've got Brad Christmas, who's in a band called um, Copperline. Yeah. Um, and um, Jeff Matthews, who was in a band called Lodestar back in the 90s. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And they're, yeah, again, they're all great guys. And, um, uh, yeah, Robbie's in Brisbane. So we don't, it's not an ongoing sort of concern, but we'll, you know, know this show is coming up. And we, it, there's, they're one of the ones we have to do all the homework at home. Yeah. And we just turn up and yeah have only like minimal rehearsal but yeah. you know that you can rely on those other guys to have it all down sure so it's yeah it's quite um daunting but yeah we've done it a few times now and, yeah. and yeah i think getting better at yeah doing the homework at home and then just you know do, you know not working things out in the band room that's all sort of done before we get there sure sure what do you what do you take from those gigs like if you if you've worked on a whole set of cure or a whole set of rem what, what does that bring to your to your own playing um I think, yeah, I think my playing has certainly improved because um, just the amount of practice that you have to do sure. to learn those songs, like it's enforced in me a discipline of um, practice that, um, you know, perhaps I didn't have since I was a teenager. Like when I was a teenager, I didn't have to enforce any discipline on my practice. I was sure. practicing eight hours a day or, yep. you know, and that's not an exaggeration. That's like an actual eight hours. Wow. Like on, wow. you know, on the weekend, I'm sure you were the same back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, now I just I've got no choice when doing those songs that you've 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 really um, you're locked into a schedule of practice. So I just try and lock a, lock away a bit of practice. And um, yeah, I think it's helped because we've been doing some recording and all that sort of stuff. And I just feel that everything sort of flows a bit better the more you play and the more um, muscle memory you get the easier it is sure, to be creative yeah. as well like if you're recording yeah it doesn't yeah everything just seems to flow a lot better mm-hmm. the more that the more that you play you just sort of crack through to an, the next sure, level almost of course yeah and is there any i don't know like sonic kind of influence or it sounds like i guess you've absorbed a lot of influences uh, and then yeah uh well yeah again i think them already i guess i think it's sort of made me a bit sort of slicker like you know i'm forced to get my pedal board working and all that sort of stuff as well like it's um yeah there's no room for sort of you know dodgy leads and all that sort of stuff as well like because you're playing to those to the you know there's you know you're not playing to 30 or 40 people like you would be at the bull and bushes you know a lot more there so yeah i guess sonically like that but uh, I think the thing I learned from REM and we did an ABBA one as well um, with Paul and that was that was yeah, I, I just that was a lot, a lot of fun. I didn't expect to do that one, but I just got the phone call and, and did it. And yeah, just I think um, I, I haven't. I'd never played acoustic with the band. I'd done acoustic shows and all that sort of stuff. Okay. But I think the REM and this ABBA stuff has got me playing acoustic with drums and all that sort of stuff. So that's yeah, something okay. I'm going to incorporate a bit more into my playing. And I've got um, I've got this nice Fishman DI and. Um, mm-hmm. The Takamine twelve strings sounds really lovely plugged into it. So I'm sort of getting the hang of of playing acoustic with a band rather than just like 
you know, acoustic shows. Okay, yeah. There's another project. <laughs> There's one more uh, that you got on the boil at the moment as well I want to talk about, which is The Finalists. Well, I guess that... that which has more of an acoustic drive, I guess. Yeah, that is more drive, of an acoustic... I guess. Um, so I guess, in you know, in all this, yeah, we're, you know, playing with... Um, you know, I'm talking about. I've been a guitar. I'm a guitar player, so I'm playing in you know other people's bands, and uh, which I love. Which is mm-hmm. which was actually that was all I ever ever wanted to do was just yeah. to be the guitar player in the band. But I've just found the the more and more that I play the the songs. I used to write songs, but never used to think about the words because I always like would leave that up to the singer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, probably those years when I wasn't sort of playing in bands and stuff that I'd find that the ideas that I'd have musically like I'd, that I would be writing I would also become uh, accompanying with vocal melodies yeah okay and you know so for a lot of years I just sort of let them go but I've I just decided I, I need I, I need to sort of like work on them <laughs> like you can you can sure. you get all these ideas and they can just come and go and if you don't latch on to them and and put a bit of work into them these ideas just come and they go. So I've just now um, tried to enforce a bit of discipline on that. In that, um, if I have an idea and a melody, I'll try it, and then I won't. You know, I won't outsource it to it to the singer to yeah. to write the words and the melody. I mean, you know, if I was the singer, they they want to write their own words and melody. So um, to to finish off these songs, um, yeah, I think I think there's only one way to sometimes to achieve stuff, and that is to set yourself like like targets so I started like booking shows like and then I'd be left with no choice but to sort of like finish these songs so uh-huh. and that's that's I guess the reason why I started it and like it's been going for a couple of years now and we've sort of started playing we've we've done a whole lot of recording and stuff like that which we're we're getting you know getting to the pointy end of but yes but that's been a real experience trying to um um you know work on my own um um, songwriting, singing, yeah. and vocals, uh, because yeah, I think I've only really largely considered myself as a guitar player up until sure. this point, um, yeah, yeah. And, and backup singer. And yeah, I love I love singing. I'm, yeah, I love doing harmonies. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. We've got some. I've got a, we've got a show coming up in October um, at the Gasoline Pony in Marrickville oh, um, with yeah, the finalists. Cool. So that'll be a lot of Great. fun as well. Excellent, excellent. You sent me um, a sneak peek of one of your tracks uh, called Hate. So that's you singing? Yes. Oh, yeah, excellent, yeah. man. Very cool. Um, yeah, it's pretty acoustic, that one. And um, I've got my friend um, Rob Young on guitar, and he, he does a bit of the he's, – he's like producing it. He's yeah. uh, at his house. And um, Chris Hamilton is my friend on bass. So, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, so it's just the three of us at the moment. And um, – I've got a drummer. At, um, just had a few drummer drummer changes recently. Sure. Um, so yeah, we'll just uh, we'll have a new drummer for the next show, and um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun as well. Just um, um, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, putting putting that that pressure on yourself. Um, I've I've found that's the only way I can kind of get results. Yeah. In, okay. If um, yeah, and if I'm not deadline driven, yeah, I'll sort of just. Yeah, I won't get anything done. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. That's 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 certainly a good strategy for sure, and it's paying off. That that track I heard was was excellent. Oh, oh thanks for listening. So yeah. well done. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So, Mark, amongst all these musical balls you're juggling, um, what what's the best way for people to um, keep up 
with you or is it better just to follow each project? Oh, well, no, I uh, probably the, yeah, probably the best way is on my Instagram, okay. Mark Tobin underscore. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or if you can find me on Facebook, it's all public. Um, yeah. Public, I've got a, um, it might be the old Beagle photo there, but it's mainly um, <laughs> just guitars and upcoming gigs, yeah. So, yeah, cool. But yeah, we've got pages. So you could follow the Caligula page on Facebook, yep. Panic Syndrome page, mm-hmm. the page, the finalists, uh, and a new one, the, the one that we've got coming up with Ashley and Jamie Fonte, that's called yep. Black Halo, uh, and of course the Exploding Boy. So that's, well, I guess that's five. <laughs> yeah, yeah projects so yeah quite busy but look as you said it's a lot of the same people and we're all yeah sort of, okay um yeah doing doing all this together it's all the all my um friends from back in the 90s were all sort of still at it i guess how good is that making all this music with with your mates that's that is very very cool well done is there um yeah anything else we should know that you've um happening no it just would be good to see everyone um at these big country shows, um, which are, yeah, there's a, a little note on my uh, Instagram about when they are. Yep. Um, that we've got the finalist show at the Gasoline Pony in Marrickville. We've got another finalist show in December with a, a singer called Brian Estepa, which will be great fun. Black Halo shows in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne in November. But dates, I'll put the dates up. I haven't been announced sure. yet, but they, yep. they'll be they'll be like quite good shows I think uh, yeah, and more Exploding Boys next year yeah and, yeah I think that's about it <laughs> that should that should keep you going for a while anyway I'll put all um, on the show notes for this podcast I'll put all the links to those oh great thanks um, to those projects as well so excellent very cool stuff well Mark it's been so good to meet you I've, yes I've uh, well I've known you through your ABC work um, uh, for a while uh, it turns out we we went to school together and I was in the same year as your brother and um, then here we are talking guitar. So very cool. To yeah, the Northwest guitar community, um, everyone's, everyone's connected in some way. So good. So good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. It's been, it's been great having you on the show. Oh, I'm really uh, honoured to be here. Thank you. All right, there you go. My conversation with Mark Tobin, really great guy and working on some fantastic projects. So check that out. There are links in our show notes that directs you to some of those bands and also the link to our Spotify playlist, which uh, includes some of the songs discussed in the conversation. Now, as promised, I'm going to get Mark to take us out with a yet-to-be-released track from the finalists, a piece of music called Hate, which is anything but hateful. It's very cool, very trippy. And, uh, yeah, good, good sign of things to come from that project. But in the meantime, I'm out of here. My name is Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me on the Guitar Speak podcast, and I'll catch you next time. Bye now.
Some people criticize your work But all you've got to say It's just the way that I happen to make sense of the world